Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in their lives. That is not just something to believe in, but is the reality for which all things were created, consist and exist. So for those that are new, I just briefly want to explain to you about this message. The source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. And I will explain that to you in a minute. But before I go further, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there's a flip book that you can go through with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. It answers a lot of very hard questions. And there is print that is highlighted in red. All of that, which is very extensive, are links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing that show from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here that expose the mastery of deception that the multitudes in the world have bought into, that assume as fact and is far from fact. It is pseudoscience. And I'm here to share with you the good news. But you don't have to believe in such beliefs that only breed hopelessness and despair and meaninglessness and lead people in a path that is destructive in their lives, that corrupt them, that cause them to have a hell-contagious state of being. This message is about the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. As it describes in John 17, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I'm not going to go into a, an extensive introduction here because on my website at ultimatemeaning.com, there are lots of videos there where I have a whole series exposing the deception of such theories as evolution and also pointing to the ultimate reason for which you were created and all things were created and exist. I should point out I've also written a book on the internet which you can purchase titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable which is a 368-page book in a large 6x9 paperback. You can get it in Kindle as well. And I do plan to produce it in the near future in audio also. So you can check that book out. This message is for those that have come into that relationship with the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. Now, how do I share these messages? The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I will seek to allow God to speak through me. It should be the norm 
when Christians gather together, genuine Christians, that they gather together and have total freedom to share and don't have to ask even for permission to use the microphone. There should be a time of total freedom where they are sensitive and when they sense the Spirit of God rising up in them, to not quench the Spirit, but to allow the Spirit of God to speak through them, whether it comes in the form of a creative song, where they don't even know what they're going to sing, but they sense her to sing a song, and they have a seed thought. And out of that will come beautiful, often poetic songs, in my experience, not always poetic. It might be a word of exhortation, it might be a testimony or a prophetic word, whatever form it comes in. But that is what was the practice in the early church. And it's something that needs to be restored in these last days in assembly as we come, not around some program at the front with a set of songs and a sermon, but become more conscious of the reality of Christ who is in our midst. So to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God requires a heart set and a mindset of worship. And so I will seek to be in that heart set and mindset of worship as I am speaking. It says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And indeed, when we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a pure heart of great love and reverence for God, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances. In other words, we begin to speak prophetically. What is coming out of our mouth is coming from the Spirit of God. doesn't mean that our own cognizance is violated or our own free will. But it is a flow where the Spirit overrides and speaks through us prophetically, testifying of the reality of God, of this one true eternal God. And for those that are new, I just briefly want to mention that I'm speaking of an ultimate perfection of love that is so pure that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Freely always chooses. A love that is such will not condone what is contrary to love. This love that always chooses the highest lasting good. Any lesser choice would obviously have a measure of corruption in it. This love is the opposite of corruption. It is the very destroyer of corruption so that there can go forth goodness that is ever enlarging without end. In a destiny that we know as heaven. And there, of course, in the book I've written that I mentioned, many examples of people highly verified to have been dead, some like Dean Braxton for almost two hours. And there's others that have been dead for three days. These people are described being in a place that is beyond comprehension. This physical dimension is very inferior. The reality of what they experience is so many more times greater 
in this physical dimension, that one person compared it to being like 2D compared to 3D. 2D paper, you know, is our physical realm. Some dream that's hardly a, hardly anything but a vague dream compared to the reality of this far superior dimension when you leave your body and you find yourself either in heaven or hell. That's where your real life begins. It's not here. This is what many of them say. You think your life begins here? No. Your real life begins when you leave the body. When you transition into this far superior dimension. Of course, particle physics reveals there's most likely up to 10 dimensions. And the 4th to the 10th dimension are all very much far superior to the physical dimension. Ever increasing the higher that dimension is. You can check that out when you read that book. One thing I do to facilitate speaking is the oracles of God is I cast lots on the scripture with great reverence and awe before God. I have a particular way of praying over these applications each day. I use two independent applications to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible from one application and then from another so that those two chapters that are chosen by the casting of Lot before God bear witness with each other as to the theme and as to the message. And time to time again, this is what happens. <clears throat> then I meditate on those two scriptures for only a half an hour and preach because I don't want to trust in notes. I want to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship so that I'm speaking as God would seek for all of us to speak as the oracles of God are prophetically. And so before we go into that message, I want to share with you that I also cast lots to get the possibility of a really good worship song. Now I have on my playlist at both ultimatemeaning.com and loverealize.com a playlist of songs that can be used if you have overhead projector and can connect to the internet. These are YouTube videos that have the words on it. And I'm very fussy in particular that these songs must all have great meaning and depth. Some are, many are exceptional and some are fine. Like today, this is a, as far as the music and so on, it's reasonably good, you know, but it's not, some are to me really awesome. This one's a good one. And it's certainly by the casting of Lot is exactly what we're going to be talking about, as again, I find time and time again, God does if we do this and we're right with him and we're not doing it in a light way. If God leads you to do it, it will work. After all, it was used extensively by many in the Old Testament for many things, dividing the land. and you know, there's no end to how it was used there. It was used by the early church to choose the apostle that would take the place of Judas that betrayed Christ. And probably in a lot of other things. It was used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravians in church history who even chose their wives that way. I'm not suggesting you choose your wife that way. <laughs> Anyhow. I am... Um, 
going to um, now play that song and we will worship with this song first that was chosen by the casting of Lot before God. So I want to go to that song now and I will minimize myself in a moment here. And there will be a brief stop. See your purpose through, brothers and sisters. 
God is calling all of us in this hour to come into alignment with the zeal of God's heart. That is what he's desiring. Hallelujah. As we come into alignment with the zeal of his heart. I just want to make sure everything's fine here. Yes. And there's a real emphasis in that worship song of identifying with the outpoured love of God in his body broken on the cross and his blood outpoured for you. You know, I often share a particular teaching, as it says in the Word of God, that scribe brings out of his treasures, things old and new. But one of the things I often teach is on the genuine fear of God and how that involves rightly choosing not just from our head, but out of a deep turning from the heart to reciprocate the being of God's love and the reality of who God could only be. And like I described, this love has such integrity that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest good. It is the holiness of God. It is, as it were, the holiness of his love. This love is, as it were, a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is very well illustrated and represented in the negative symbol and the positive symbol in math and electricity that is the truth of everything in nature is held together by negatives and positives. And ultimately all things consistent exist because they are held together by the very presence of God himself. The Holy Spirit is an omnipresent attached to every particle of existence, in all dimensions of existence and omnipresence, in which is also the Father and the Son. But I don't want to get sidetracked by talking about that. What I want to share is that this love that is so pure is also in its perfection of purity so ultimate that it was always within the being of God from the infinite past, for God is beyond time and created time and all of these different dimensions. And there are many, many planes of time, by the way, in other dimensions in heaven and so on. That's why God can come on one plane of time to you and another and have a million people praying at the same time and visit them all personally. And it can be totally personal and real because he has no limit on the planes of time that can intersect into your time. But I want to share with you this. This love, as it says in the word of God, he was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world was created. It was not just a capacity in God. It was a reality of God. Yes, it was outplayed and actually lived out in the center of history in Jesus Christ. But it was always within the being of God to become a perfect, atoning, substitutionary sacrifice that he could suffer more than you, a mere creature, on the cross 
and humble himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross. And this love is beyond our comprehension. This is the creator of the universe. You know how insignificant this planet is? It's like a little speck of dust in the midst of all the grains of sand upon the earth. One galaxy contains millions of stars. Billions of stars in some cases. And there may be billions of galaxies. There, the vastness of creation is beyond man to even comprehend of what he's created in this physical dimension. And of course, they know that matter is a very small percentage. There's all these other dimensions which take up a far greater percentage of all that can be seen through modern technology, such as the Lord Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, and so on. Yes, some have an idolatrous, monotheistic concept of God, that God could is too great to become a human being. No. The one that created all things is so great that he can communicate with his creation and totally, and has. And in fact, his love is so great, as I've described, that he loved you that much. And do you know that those like Dean Braxton and Dale Black and many others that have gone to heaven, highly verified to have been dead, say that when they stood before Jesus Christ, the love that was being experienced is something that cannot be described in this dimension. It is so powerful and great. And it was like God loved them like they were the apple of his eye and no one else mattered in the universe. That's the intensity of love that they felt from Jesus Christ coming to them. And they knew without a doubt that if he only created them, he would have died for them and suffered for them. Can you imagine him only creating you and suffering for you more than you've ever suffered and humbling himself more than you've ever humbled yourself? There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that can exist that is greater than this love. Only this love could be trustworthy to be worthy to contain unlimited authority and life and power without using it in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it, thus indicative that he is the very source and thus the very one true God and no other perception of God would be the true God. It would be idolatrous. It is the negative. The positive symbol is what? It is the crossing out of the negative that forms the positive symbol or the symbol of the cross. And it is also the last letter in the most ancient languages going back to 1500, 2000 BC and earlier, such as the Hebrew language and all the languages in that region. And that last letter of this alphabet means sign or symbol. How about that? So for the atheists trying to Get rid of crosses, sorry. The cross was way back from the beginning of time before there was any Christianity as you know it today. This is good news.
that you can have an ultimate destiny. So I want to share with you what I received today by the casting of Lot. And so we will go now to the two passages of Scripture that I received by the casting of Lot before God. Now, yesterday I didn't preach because I don't preach every day. And I received by the casting of Lot, Micah 1 and Revelations 8. In both of those passages, you have a description of God coming down to the earth and causing great cataclysmic upheaval. And Micah describes, as it shows here, it says, beginning in verse 3, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountain shall be molten under him, and the valley shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel, and it goes on. But it is describing an event of the future. God is a consuming fire of judgment. And there will come a time when he will create a new heavens and a new earth and this heavens and this earth and this present solar system will be devoured and made molten by fire and out of it will come a new heaven and a new earth that is far greater than this, where there's no corruption. Yes, where there's heaven. And I can't go into describing all of that here for time, obviously. And I'm just skipping through all these other things I meditated on yesterday. But I had Micah and the other one was Revelation 8. And we know that Revelation 8 is a description of the last days and of what many believe is an asteroid. And by the way, in Matthew 24, when it talks about the stars falling from heaven, that word is asteroid in the Greek. It's referring to that. But of course, we know stars fall from heaven in Revelations that represent angels as well, such as in Revelations 9. But here in Revelations 8, many scientists that have looked at this have said this is exactly what would happen before an asteroid hit the earth. Now, of course, we have Tim Horn, which is a Pentecostal prophet, whose prophecies have been dead accurate in foretelling the death of the Pope, including the date, and everyone mocked him, saying this, it's never, you know, the chances of that happening are nil. But it happened, just as he said. I can't go into it. He also foretold about an asteroid that will hit the Earth and, uh, on April the 13th, 2029. Now, it was those scientists that said that what they saw in Revelations 8 was exactly what would happen. First, there's the grass that's burned, and much of the forests are burned by a follow that comes before the asteroid hits. And then, of course, it goes on and describes something like a mountain. Part of the asteroid, he said, would hit the ocean, the other part would split and hit the earth. And so you got two descriptions there. And so I could go into detail describing all of that. And then, of course, you come to the trumpet. The final trumpets are always the trumpet that involves the very end. 
where the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and it involves a great earthquake. But I want to go to what I've received today by the casting of Lot, because it again is a continuation. More specifically, in what God is wanting to do in his people in these last days. And so today, by the casting of Lot, I received Psalm 137 and Zechariah 13. And I have to tell you that the print here, if you're reading it while I'm talking, I just did it in a microphone. I didn't have time to go through it and correct any grammar or spelling mistakes. So there could be some mistakes in anything if you're skimming that. But I want to go into pointing out the two things that stand out, first of all, of the verses in these two psalms that fit together. In Psalms 137, 5-8, we read, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof, O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be, that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. This is about Jerusalem. And I want to share with you a message that is the very burning zeal of God's heart and the focus of his heart for this hour that God is calling his people to come into alignment with. And I would say, woe unto those in the body of Christ that want to be at ease and lukewarm and refuse in these last days to get in alignment with the zeal of God's heart. And what is the zeal of his heart? It is that we give him no rest until Jerusalem goes forth as a torch that burns. And it's not just talking about Jerusalem and Israel. Your Jerusalem is in your town and in your city. What is your church doing? Is it having an impact to bring multitudes of souls in your area unto Christ? Do we have a burden that the glory and presence of God comes into our midst, into our assembly in such a way that the darkness is broken over our communities or our city or our town? I've written a book, which you can purchase on Amazon, titled Godheadship in Body Invasion. It's about 250 some odd or more pages in a large paperback six by nine, in outline format. It's about everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. The steps that you can take as an individual, that you can take as a body of believers, that in these last days we may fulfill John 17 that the world might believe that there might be a tremendous gathering of the harvest. Right now the Spirit is saying, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Anyone that really knows what's going on in the news, and if you're a believer, certainly you shouldn't have been duped 
Certainly, if you're walking close to God, he would lead you to see and know the great deception that is taking place around the world at this time. Now, since these messages are going on Facebook, I cannot go into details, obviously. I am really disputing whether I will switch over eventually to rumble. I'm just wondering then, oh, you know, I want to reach as many people as I can. That's why I'm still with Facebook. But we'll see what God has in that matter. But here's the thing. It says without a vision, the people perish. And the vision should be such in our heart as a consuming passion. to see people brought forth into the kingdom of God. When the world itself that doesn't know God sees all the corruption in so many institutions that is so rampant and the absolute insanity of things that are being promoted that are demonized, that are hell contagious, that are anti-life, that are destructive, to the family unit, and so on and so forth, that are destroying people's lives. I could go on sharing so much in this. I need not give you any of the detail here. That is causing the harvest to become very ripe because people are beginning to see, oh, there must be a God after all if there's evil like this that is so blatantly, obviously, insane and de de demonic, that is totally irrational. And so there's a harvest. And God wants the church to be ready for this harvest, brothers and sisters. Is your life insular? Is it insular so that you're caught up in the busyness of this world system and it's got you in a world like electrons going around the nucleus of an atom so that your heart has become hardened with the busyness of even maybe doing Christian ministry? The only thing to break that shell is to return to the genuine fear of God by a deep turning in the heart First, in the perception of the negative, reciprocating the holiness of God, that it is good because it is the destroyer of corruption, no matter how severe it is in our own lives. If God has to be severe to bring me to the death of myself, that I might be not judged with the world to eternal loss, and that I might be a blessing to God and to others, so be it. I will choose to buy of him the gold that is tried in the fire rather than to say, no, I will buy into this false teaching that I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Woe unto those that equate godliness with material gain. Yes, Abraham was rich, but his pleasure wasn't in the material things of this world. His pleasure was in a love relationship with God. He was a man of prayer and of intimacy with God. 
and God has chosen the poor rich and heirs of the kingdom of God. Was Elijah rich? Did he have riches? Yes, he had such rich relationship with God that the woman that was starving and had no money and had to pay, give her children away to pay off the debts. He caused the oil to multiply. That's the kind of relationship God is wanting in these last days. Now, I want to go into this here further. In Zechariah 13, 1 to 9, there is so much. So I want to start reading. This is also talking about Jerusalem in the last days. And as you will see, there is this great, great depth of intimacy that happens in the last days. And people's individual relationship with God that is way beyond anything that we know at this present time. But God is wanting to lead us into it. And it says in verse 1, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered, and also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. This is in the very last days. Yes, at this time, sometime in the near future, there will be over the land of Israel a spirit that is unclean, that is influencing that nation. And that unclean spirit will be in two forms. It will be in a state where those that are very self-righteous in their own self-righteousness will express that uncleanness coming out in the form of their prophets. Yes, there's going to be a movement of a lot more of the prophetic happening. The other will be the new age kind of thing. And they will have their prophets. And they will be prophesying out of the influence of this spirit, the unclean spirit that's described in Revelations chapter 16, I believe. Or maybe it's 12. Of the three unclean spirits that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. But there will be many besides the main false prophet. There will be many prophets in these last days that will be in some measure saying things that come true, in some measure demonstrating the supernatural to deceive. We know that just before the coming of Christ, it emphasizes that the deception will become very, very great. We see it in the book of Revelation. The false prophet calling down fire from heaven like Elijah. We see it in Matthew 24. And so on. And even in the time that Zechariah wrote this passage of scripture, there were those that probably wanted to imitate being like Elijah that was so powerfully used of God. And so he emphasized. 
that this unclean spirit will pass out of the land because this is just before Christ comes and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives and it splits in half as is told in Zechariah 12, the chapter before, which we will go to to share some things there as well. But there's this fountain after Christ has set his feet on the Mount of Olives. It says here that there's a fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. We know that old hymn that says there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And I want to point out to you here a little bit more about that fountain by going back now to Zechariah 12 and reading verse 10 to 14. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Notice it says me. This is referring to Yahweh, the most sacred name for God. And brothers and sisters, let us remember that in Genesis 18, Abraham is at his tent door and three angels appear a, few, a distance before him, maybe 10 feet. He runs and bows before them. He recognizes these are not just ordinary humans. They are so majestic. And he makes a meal for them and they eat together. And he addresses one of them as Yahweh. The most sacred name for God, meaning the I am that I am, the ultimate reality above and beyond creation, far above and separate and beyond creation, which is God the Father. And I might point out here for those that are new, that for God to be almighty, he must also be in three personages. Because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation in omnipresence. As God the Father, he is in function, in personage, beyond time and space, beyond creation, seeing the end from the beginning. The Son is the very full expression and one and only full expression of the Father into the time and space creation realm to experience it on a limited level and to relate to it and fellowship with it. And then the Holy Spirit in omnipresence, in personage. You have to be in personage, in conscious intelligence to rule over whatever you're ruling over or you wouldn't be ruling over. And so God is also almighty, not only because of his ultimate perfection of love, but because he is in three personages. And of course, the word in the Old Testament for God is often the word Lord God in English, and that in Hebrew is Yahweh, standing for Lord, and Elohim standing for God. And Elohim is Literally, the Almighty's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here we read.
that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadam Hadarim in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, and the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, and all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. They have just realized that the one that they have been in rebellion against, that they have persecuted, is their Messiah. Kind of like an experience of Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus. These are people that are very zealous for God. It's just that they had a veil on them, as is described in 2 Corinthians 3. That veil still remains over their faces in the reading of the Old Testament. But this veil has just been lifted as they have been cornered by God where their military was broken. And there's a lad, 15 years old, which is in my book on the afterlife, who died, Jewish lad in Israel. He wasn't Orthodox, but he died and he experienced seeing the Mount of Olives split in half, not knowing it was in the scriptures, according to him. Seeing, and he's being interviewed by this rabbi and the whole congregation of Orthodox Jews, and he's describing what he saw, and he's describing the Messiah, and, it, and it's, getting a little difficult for him because what he's describing is like Jesus Christ. I mean, he's not using that word, but they're thinking, whoa, I mean, he's this and he's this. Man, the only person that fits that description I know of is Jesus Christ. But they don't want to acknowledge it. They're still not acknowledging that. But he describes how Israel, he saw Israel and he saw all the missiles and the drones and all kinds of things coming against Israel, just hordes. And they could only withstand for two days in this battle and they were defeated. And then two thirds of them were captured, tortured to death, many of them and so on. But they could not get near Jerusalem because before Christ comes and the Mount of Olives splits in half, his presence is now starting to come down to the earth and it's causing a supernatural, powerful thing around the area of Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, protecting people in that area, according to him, and what he saw. And then he sees two prophets, he doesn't mention the word prophets, I think, he sees two people rise from the dead, one on the one side of the Mount of Olives and the other on the other side. And after those two people ascend, as he saw, he sees the Mount of Olives split in half and Messiah is standing in the middle where it's split. And he's only allowing people into that split area that know God. And he, the way he described it is, is the Messiah could smell those that genuinely feared him, that had a genuine heart relationship with him. And those were the ones that were allowed in 
to receive eternal life into this somehow area that's behind and right into that split of the Mount of Olives. And of course, at this time, as he's there, they are looking on him whom they have pierced. And there's this great morning. And brothers and sisters, there's the Day of Atonement that the nation of Israel celebrates. And when they celebrate that day, they fast all day. And the word of God says, if you do not mourn in that day over your sin and over, then you're cast out of the nation. I believe that's what it says there. Brothers and sisters, when you have the genuine fear of God and reciprocate who God is first in his holiness, and then see, it's only then that you can see how great his mercy is to you because you realize his holiness is good and how undone you are in the light of it and how greatly you need the mercy of God. That's when there's a deep cry. Christ described it when he said, pointed out that the publican would not so much as lift his head to heaven, but he smote his breast and cried out and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ said, that man was justified. But the Pharisees that were thanking God, I thank God I fast three days. I, I really deny myself and suffer a lot every week for God and that I'm not like that man there. They were just glorying in their own righteousness. They're in a time of such desperation here because here their military might is broken and there's no hope and they're expecting to be slaughtered and suddenly God comes on the scene. You would be weeping. You would be crying if you realized this is the one you crucified. If you had a heart that was really turned to him. People that always are joyful and never know what it is to mourn and humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. I say there's a very limited knowing of God in you. If you cannot know what it is to rend your heart and not your garment before God, there is a time for mourning. There is a time for rejoicing. And a thing that we're lacking in the body of Christ today is a genuine turning in the heart that reciprocates the holiness of God, out of which we then can reciprocate the tremendous mercy and grace of God. And I want to point this out here. Because as you go into this passage here, it gets to be more and more amazing. We read this now, and it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of Yahweh. And his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. What is this about? So the Messiah here in this point of time may have already returned, and it may be that some that are meek are spared from judgment, but they don't really know God. But maybe there's still the residual of what they were exposed to, which was this false prophecy. This is a possibility. There is going to be such a deep identity 
in their love union with Christ because of this fifth dimension from heaven kind of merging with a far inferior dimension so that the presence of God will be so much stronger and the reality of the revelation of Christ so much stronger, especially after they look on him whom they have pierced and experience the flow of his presence in cleansing by his blood, in cleansing by the washing of the water of his spirit of truth. that the intimate relationship with God will be so strong. Their love for God will be so strong that it would be nothing for them to literally kill their own child that was in rebellion against God. It's not so. This is what it says. This is describing an identity with Christ in a dimension that is far greater than we presently know. And we continue to read, and it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision. Now that could be just before the Messiah returns too, that all of this is happening, because there would be already a presence of God that would begin to deposit just before his return upon the assemblies of the saints that would spread out and break the darkness over the nation of Israel and over the Jerusalems around the world because the assemblies of God would be coming into such a fullness of his glory dwelling in their midst. And it does describe assemblies in Isaiah where the glory is like the Shekinah glory that was over the nation of Israel as a cloud by day and a fire by night. And so there will be these assemblies and this presence. And so people will not be, there won't be any false teachers left. There won't be anyone that can get away with drawing attention to themselves. It says in Isaiah 33, fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites in Zion. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? And in Isaiah 33, it is describing there the Lord's return as the Messiah to the earth. And it describes his presence filling the air in such a way and in such a glory and a brightness that those that are wicked breathe the air and are totally consumed to ashes by the presence of God. And this presence of God is like a flaming fire of love burning in those that have this deep identity in the crucifixion and uh, the atoning work of Christ on the cross and in his obvious resurrection. But he shall say, so in that day, people will be humble. There won't be any pride. What are they going to say? They're going to say, I'm no prophet. I'm a husbandman. For man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thy hands? Now we just know that these people have seen and looked upon him whom they have pierced. They've already seen the wounds of Christ in his hands. In Zechariah 12, as the Mount of Olives is split in half and he stood there. 
but they are experiencing such a deep identity in this crucifixion with Christ and resurrection with Christ described in Romans 6, that they're literally experiencing wounds in their own hands to remind them of this wonderful union they have with Christ. Oh, you could say, well, it's speaking of the Messiah, but the Messiah wasn't someone that looked after cattle, and this person's saying, well, I just look after cattle. And we could go on, and it says this. Then he shall answer, these, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And I'm thinking here, about the two-thirds of Israel that is destroyed by the enemy, the self-righteous, that were persecuting maybe this remnant that didn't know the Lord but was open, the new age and the ones that are caught up in immorality also persecuting the righteous. And they experience that wounding in their lives, and it manifests in an identification with the wounding of Christ on the cross. And so, from this here we read a prophecy of the actual death of Christ before it happened. And it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, speaking of Christ, and against the man that is my fellow, saith Yahweh of hosts, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. That's the disciples that were scattered that were under Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, and then now it's skipping ahead to the future of this event that I've just described where two-thirds of Israel is taken captive. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, and the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And that was what was happening. They were seeing all of their people being slaughtered before their eyes. They were seeing their military might broken. They were brought to the end of themselves to cry out unto God and to their Messiah. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say it is my people, and they shall say that the Lord is my God. Or Yahweh is my Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Literally, that's what it says. It doesn't use the word Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but when it says Almighty's, you know that's what it's referring to. Now, right now, in 2022, the population of Israel, of those that are genuine Jews and not Arabs, was 7,106,000. So two-thirds will go into destruction at that time. It would probably be a greater population, maybe, by that time. Let's say it's 10,000. Two-thirds. Maybe only 350, no, 3 million, 
and a half by spirit and enter in to the everlasting kingdom of God and become his people. And so this is the message that God is saying to the body of Christ. We are living in a time when we better wake up. How, when you see all the things that are happening around you, can you just go back to being the church just the way you always were? There needs to be a new, new order that comes into local assemblies that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the body. I want to get together with people that will see this vision come to pass. And I say a good strategy would be this. In your town, in your community, get the churches together to fast and pray for three days. If you can do an Esther fast, great. And let's cry out mightily to God because this is only what's going to bring the nation back to God. This is no time for, we've had all these prayer meetings in the States and, and all they do is sing most of the time. They don't really turn with all their hearts to God and seek God. Too organized. No, we come together and we fast and pray and we cry out to God, break up into groups or whatever, I don't know, and, but we need to really seek God. And then we go back with a resolve before God that we will never be the church the way we were. We will become his house of prayer and holiness. Forget about your pre-service prayer meetings. Make your church service a prayer meeting and be in the awe of God until you're more conscious of him in your midst than some program and songs at the front. And let the gifts of the Spirit fully function as you come out of that prayer into worship songs. Allow the full functioning of the body. And then now after that, as the leadership is led by the Spirit, they share. God is asking for a new order where we repent of the gods of amusement, worshiping the idols of amusement, Christians spending hours watching sports, but they do not pray. The word of God commands us to redeem the time because the days are evil. This is the time to be in a passionate love relationship with God where every moment is consumed in doing things that count for eternity, not in idleness. There's no place for idleness in the kingdom of God. And God's created us all unique with creative abilities. It doesn't mean you're going to have a boring life, but all the more a fulfilling life to use whatever creativity you have to advance the kingdom of God, but not to waste the time on pleasure and on amusements and on trying to make money. Maybe God wants you to sacrifice it so you have a prayer life and a less paying job. So this is the message and I'm asking brothers and sisters for people to come together, to contact me. We need to get together in the United States and in this nation of Canada and catch this vision until there is a Jerusalem in every town and city across this nation that burns brightly. When the Lord returns in Jerusalem and that massive earthquake happens, assemblies according to the Jewish lad were around the world and they were just as significant before the presence of God as those in Jerusalem and they experienced God protect them from all the buildings that were falling and protect them from all the they were totally protected in the midst of the destruction and when we form Christian community and fulfill John 17 and Ephesians 4 
and what it says in Acts, whom the heavens must receive until the restitution of all things. When this happens, brothers and sisters, we'll conquer our nation and turn it from corruption. This is the key. It's not a political answer. It's first a spiritual answer that we must prevail with. And yes, that doesn't mean we neglect the other responsibilities of standing against unrighteousness. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all. Thank you.